If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Glad you're with us. Um, I've been on this journey following Jesus for about 20 years, and what I've come to realize is that uh, people have a different, um, a full range of answers when it comes to what the church should be about. Like I had, when I got into this thing, I had this kind of naive idea that you know all churches are, are essentially the same, but. As time moved on and I met Christians from different church backgrounds, I noticed a multiplicity uh, of differences. And since stepping into the role of the pastor over the past 14 years, I've become even more aware of those differences. So depending on what your background is, you, you may have a, a different answer. So from, from people from the more like Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds, church is about encouraging and developing a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then Bible churches, it's like, well, no, 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 it's not that. It's, it's, about, it's about the word. It's about knowing truth and mastering truth. And then other people are like, no, 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 no. It's not either one of those things. It's, it's discipleship. And we have to have modules and workbooks and things like that. And we'll, we'll have all these programs to where people get Discipled, and other people are like, no, 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 no. It's deep, 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 authentic community. And we're going to like do board games and guacamole 24 seven. And like, we're going to buy a house together and make peanut butter. And we're just going to like, it's going to be great. And so 
It's deep, deep, deep community. And other people are like, no, 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 it's helping the poor. I mean, God's heart for the poor. Whatever you do, the least of me, you do unto me. So it's about the poor. Other people have some other particular uh, issue of social justice they want to get after. And, and others are like, no, 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 it's worship. God desires a worshiper. We need to sing for an hour and 45 minutes. And there better be fireworks and tears. And, and uh, so if we can just get into that mode of worship, then that's what church is about. And other people are like, no, 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 it's systematic theology and understanding kind of all the nuances of theology and the more systematic and problematic we can be, the better off we'll be as a church, and then on and 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 on it goes. And uh, now, I, please don't hear me discrediting uh, that so much because I believe all those things are viable and, and, to, and every single one of them to some extent are commanded by God in, in Scripture, uh, but there are some unintended con- consequences if you, fo- if you focus all of our energy on any one of those things at the expense of another uh, and not make the main thing the main uh, thing. Like imagine if you went to the gym, and I realize some of us are going to have to imagine more than others, but imagine you went to the gym and you like worked on just like one part of your body. Like, you know, you see those dudes, they like, all they do is bench press and they work at the upper body, but they've never even seen a squat rack. It's just like, they've got like, they're like a walking candy apple. And so like you have, but imagine that you see, I see, I'm not like that. See, I see, I equally, I equally ignore all my muscles. And so, um, so, but imagine like if you were just to work on like one side of your body, like, you know, you did curls in the right arm and you did, you know, the leg press. On one. So you're like, you got one, but you ignored the other part of your body. And you're thinking, well, at least you're strong in one area. Um, well, yeah, except that's not how your body's really meant to function. And you're going to pull things out of joint and muscles will be over here. And you'll be this contorted, malign aversion of what uh, you're supposed to be. But it doesn't, I've got great news. It doesn't have to be this complicated or confusing because Jesus made it very simple what we're supposed to do. When he left this earth, he gave what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And the Great Commission uh, is simply this. To, he said to go into all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I commanded, not just telling them, but teaching them to obey everything I commanded in the authority of Jesus and, and by the power of the Spirit. Now, here's the thing. If we are teaching everybody to obey everything he commanded, all that list that I mentioned earlier, is, I mean, we're going to walk in the Spirit, we're going to love the truth, and we're going to do theology, and we're going to do community, and we're going to do this. We're going to do all of that if we do all those things. But the main thing is that we pursue making disciples and being on mission together to, and helping other people know God. And so here, here's the little thing. Every church has that, is supposed to have that as its mission state, her mission statement. Uh, that's, that's a mission statement for every church. Now, we word it differently for convenience reasons and, and those kinds of things, uh, but everyone has, is, at, at, at its substance, has that for its mission statement. Now, I bring this all up to say, um, today... Um, we're, I'm going to tell you what our mission statement has been, which has been uh, connecting people to Jesus, resulting in God, our and life changes, connecting people, you know, making them disciples, uh, life change. Uh, that's the teaching part, uh, teaching them to obey part. But we as an eldership have been uh, feeling for some time that our mission statement needs to be reworded, not the substance of our uh, mission, but to change the wording so that we can make a better connection between what our uh, mission is and how our church is structured, or make them, that connection more obvious. I should say that. And so we're going. I'm going to unveil um, that new mission statement in a second. Which, by the way, this is why I said a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, that this is going to be the most important message of the year. Now, 
what I didn't say, this would be the best message of the year. Okay, that's a different story, so you may not like it, but that's, it's going to be the most important because we're going to talk about you know, who we are and why we are. Um, and there's a few groups of people here. One group of people here, you, know, you, you care a little bit about the substance, but, but actually what you really care about is the style and how ministry feels. And so you, you do care about the wording, probably a little, maybe too much. There may be a few of you like that here. And, and to you, I just want to say, hey, just relax a little bit. I mean, we're doing the equivalent of, of like changing the color of the carpet. We're not changing anything. We're not moving any walls. The substance of our mission is staying the same. And there's another group of, of you who... Um, you care deeply about the, the substance of the mission, and you don't care as much about the wording. And, and so today would just be an encouragement, but maybe you'd learn today why the wording can be helpful and, and more specifically how you can jump in uh, even more than you already are. And then there's some of you who don't care about the substance or the wording. Like you're here because of the, the coffee, the worship, the kids' ministry, or you think one of our members is cute, or like, you know, some of those reasons. But today, my hope... Um, but today, my hope is that you would, you would catch, your heart would catch on fire for what we're trying to do here as a community. And so with that, I want to show you what our new mission statement is. Can I get a drum roll, please? Wow. Wow. Responsive, to smart, responsive today. I appreciate that very much. This is going to be good. Okay. Jubilee Church is a community on mission. That part didn't change. To help all people, all's underlined, I'll come back to that later, to do this, to know God, to find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. Jubilee Church is a community on mission to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. And in the text that was uh, read, we find how we can do all these things uh, well. So the first thing is we are passionate about helping people know God. We are passionate about helping people know God at two different levels. One is we want to help pe- people who already have a relationship with Jesus, deepen that relationship with Jesus. But secondly, we want to introduce people who don't know God to the idea that they can know God and how they, know, how they can know God and why they can know God. And there are just tons of things that we do to, to facilitate this. I'll mention three. One is that we have services that are dis- discipleship orientated, and, but seeker intelligible. And what I mean by that is Sundays are a place where you, the church member, can come and hear the gospel and have the opportunity, and I'll come back to that, have the opportunity to deepen your relationship. I say opportunity because you can come and hear the gospel and then leave here unchanged if you don't do anything with it. Jesus says, um, you're not blessed if you hear these things. You're blessed if you do these things. So you have the opportunity to come and hear what the gospel is and, have that, um, and then have that worked out in your life. But so while we create these services to be discipleship orientated so you, the church member, can come and learn how you can deepen your relationship, we want to create these services with the new person in mind, our friends and people in the community, so they can track with us and they can learn too how they can be in a relationship. So it's, it's, it's both ends. It's not either or, it's both ends. Secondly, we practice something called bless uh, as members to extend the gospel. Bless is an acronym uh, that we use to develop relationships with people who don't know Jesus and to serve them and to love them and so they know the gospel. One is to begin with prayer. We always want to start with prayer. Listen to them, eat with them, have a meal. It's everyone's favorite serve them, and then story. Share your story about how uh, God's love has intersected your life. And we did a six-part series on this back in, uh, I think, June or, or May. And you can go online to hear more about that. But we practice blessed. Thirdly, we train leaders and give away a ton of money to plant churches in this country throughout the world. We gave, I don't know, well over $100,000 last year to help plant other churches. So we want to see the gospel extend here, but not just here, but everywhere. 
Now, in order for us to really help people know God, and this is just not me as a communicator or someone else or an elder, but all of us, all of us need to be rock solid on the basis and the means for knowing God. And in this section, Paul tells us, and in introducing how we know God and why we can know God, he starts off by telling us that we were dead, which is, that you know, that's not a very friendly thing to say. You know, you were dead. And he's, what he's trying to communicate is that we need clarity around our own depravity. We need clarity around our own depravity, that we weren't just those who uh, commit sinful actions, but that sin, this text says, is in our very nature. That sin is not just an action, but it's a condition. In other words, that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's, it's our condition. We were spiritually dead, not mostly dead like Princess Bride, but like dead, dead, like all the way dead. You're too young for that, maybe. Dead, dead. No <laughs> spiritual impulse of any kind. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves that way. We don't like to think of ourselves that way. We like to think of ourselves as just needing a little boost, that we're fundamentally good people who just need a little boost. Like, I'm too short to reach the celestial cookie jar, and if God would just give me a little bit of boost, I can get there. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that you were dead. It reminds me of a scenario back in college. See, in college, I had my, my roommates were Neanderthals. Like, I don't know what your experience were, but living with guys was like being in a third world country. It was like, I mean, barely bipedal, just really dangerous to your health, um, very unaware of basic sanitary and hygiene conditions. Um, in the refrigerator, okay, so a, a guy's apartment in college, the refrigerator consists of just a few things. No, beer, okay, it has beer, very cheap, cheap beer. And, and Gatorade, butter from a previous tenant. And then the last thing would be like about 14 styrofoam to-go containers that, care, that have food that, in them of varying levels that was called aging. And so like, and so, so like, say you go and you're hungry and you want to go get something out of the fridge. All you have are to-go caners. There's no like actual food. It's just other food from restaurants. And you, and you, you, you open the door uh, to get out one of these containers, but the containers don't have a, uh, they don't tell you how old it is, right? So you, you have to, you have to guess, but what you really have to do is you have to take out one of those containers and you kind of, you open it up and you get, get a whiff of it right? And then like four hours later, when you come to, um, you realize that there's a piece of rotten chicken uh, and the stench of rotten chicken is, is like totally knocked you out. But here's what you don't do. You don't go, oh, it just needs a little Lowry's. Just needs a little seasoned salt. Like it, it you know, like if just a little barbecue sauce and Even as a college kid, I knew that that's not what you do because this meat is decaying. It's spoiled. It's ruined. It's dead. And without some kind of supernatural intervention, there's nothing left to do with this chicken except throw it in the trash. And what Paul is saying is you and I are just like that piece of chicken, every single one of no goodness at all. We're not, there's no potential we're tapping into. We are dead people trying to cover up the stench of our smell with a little self-righteousness. People say that Christianity is a crutch, only weak people. Um, you know, people who are too weak need a crutch like Christianity. Well, they got a half right. We are weak people, but we need way more than a crutch. We need a spiritual defibrillator. We need to be made alive, and that's exactly what he's done. We have a new birth. We have been born again. You see, Jesus does his best work, not in hospitals where you need a second chance, but graveyards where you need a second life. 
Verse 8 tells us why. It is by grace that you've been saved. The basis of our salvation is grace. We, salvation is a gift, not a reward. We, we are not the ones who are less bad. We're, we're not the ones who are good deep down. We're not the ones who have potential that's worth an investment. We know God not as a reward, but as a gift. And here's how. It's through faith. Grace is why and faith is how which is also a gift. I mean, salvation is a gift, and the faith that we have to believe is a gift. And faith simply means having confidence in Christ that he's done it all, just like he said. Verse 13 says that we have been brought near by his blood. We haven't been brought near by our good works. We haven't been brought near by our piety. We haven't been brought near because we went to church this week. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And that's not only how we enter this relationship, it's how we grow in this relationship. Paul tells us in verse 18 that it's through Jesus that we have access to the Father. Our good works don't give us access. Our, uh, being in a certain place doesn't give us access. Only Jesus gives us access. And so we are a community on a mission to help all people know God, to deepen that relationship and to introduce people to a relationship for the first time. And we don't just want to help people know God. We want to help them find family because that's what the Bible says. In fact, if you, if you look at the verses 19 and 22 in particular, it says that we are fellow citizens in God's great kingdom. And so that when you become a Christian, you, you primarily cease to be an American or Asian or Hispanic or whatever your heritage is. You primarily become a Christian. You are citizens of a new kingdom. And on earth, we are ambassadors of that kingdom. But we're not just, you know, ambassadors of this kingdom. It says that we are members of God's house. We're families. So, so like when you hear people call each other brother, you know, hey, brother this and hey, brother that, that's not, that's not religious vernacular. That's theology. That's like, that's who we are. We're, we're brothers and, and sister. You are my brother. You are my sister. We are members of God's household. And that's why when you read through the book of Acts, you see that these group of people, they, they were sharing everything. They were sharing their life, uh, their, their, their money, their decisions, their time. They shared everything because that's what families do. And that's why community groups are such a big deal to us. As we grow larger, we must grow smaller. I mean, sociologists will tell you that when a gathering gets bigger than 14 people, people you begin to feel anonymous. Like you can kind of slip in and slip out. And nobody should be anonymous. In fact, it's more than that. They should, everyone should say that I have a family. And our hope is, is that you wouldn't simply, in Jubilee, find a good church, but that you would find a loving family. And I'm seeing that happen. I was at a birthday party last week where uh, it, was, it was mostly people from this girl's community group. They were celebrating her birthday. And the people in this group had just been in the church for less than, you know, maybe a couple of years. And, and the, person, the people hosting had been there maybe six months. And, and, but everybody was acting like family. I mean, all these kids running around and everyone just felt, you know, everyone's just like, you know, we're, it was just, no one was like worried about what their kids were doing, which might have been a, a misplacement of trust. Because I know one kid in particular had way too many s'mores. And so that kid is still... <laughs> Got his eyes wide open, even though it was last week. But anyway, so they're just loving each other. They're family. They're, having, they're enjoying each other and just having a good time. And that same group, one of the members is sick. And almost, I mean, instantaneously, like the care calendar is put together. And, and they have meals and they're being taken care of because you take care of your family. 
in another group I was in last week, um, I saw this amazing display of vulnerability and authenticity. There was no pretending. There was no putting on this Christian mask. Um, nobody's playing games. Everybody was able to say, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm struggling. This is how I need prayer. This is how I need grace. It's a family. And, and this desire to help people find family must be inclusive of all people. This family that we're creating has to be inclusive of all people if it's going to have anything to do with the name of Jesus. And the good news is that the gospel, that in the gospel, he has reconciled us vertically to God by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the gospel doesn't stop there. He, the, the gospel also reconciles us horizontally to each other. Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love your Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one is just like it, and that is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we know that our neighbor is everything. So in this gospel, that it's to be all people. And this was such a big deal to Jesus. So his final prayer was, Father, I pray that they would be one, just as you and I are one. And then he would die that we would be one. And, and this is a big deal to Paul. In fact, this is what he says in another letter he wrote in Romans 1 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is a popular verse. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but not the Jew only. Because it's also to the Greek. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. We won't read all this. He says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those outside the law, which basically means a non-Jew, a Gentile, I became as one outside the law. In other words, Paul was saying, if you catch me on a Monday, you might see me hanging out with my Jewish friends eating bagels and locks. But if you see me on a, on a Tuesday, I may have like a little barbecue sauce in the corner of my cheek because I'm eating ribs with my Gentile brothers. See, his relationships were very diverse. He was intentional about being like a Jew with Jews so he can win and befriend them. And he was intentional about uh, befriending and winning the Gentiles and hanging out with them. And so what would happen as he would do life with them and share the gospel with them, he would have some Jews. They would come to Jesus and they'd be reconciled unto God. And he would uh, share his life and, and share the gospel with some Gentiles and they would they would, have, they would be reconciled unto God, but they would not be yet reconciled to each other. There was, they didn't hang out in culture. Now, what, 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 so what does Paul do? He has a conundrum because he has these people, they're both reconciled to God. So what does he do? Does he go to the north side of town and create a church for Jews and then go to the south side of town and create a church for Gentiles? No, he doesn't. He says, you guys who have been reconciled to God... The good news of the gospel is that it reconciles you to God, but it also reconciles you to each other. And verse 14 tells us why. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility. You see, in this time, there was in the, in the temple courts, it was divided up into four sections. And, they, and to worship God was to be divided from other people. So you had the court of the Gentiles, that was the outermost court, and then you walked in, you had the court of women, and then you had the court of the Jews, and then you had the court of the priests. And on the outside, or from the, from the wall going from the court of the Gentiles to the court 
of the Jews, it's, archaeologists found a sign on the wall that said this, any Gentile entering beyond this wall will only have himself to blame for his ensuing death. I'm not quite sure they got the concept of seeker-sensitive. Like, I don't think they quite understood what hospitality is because they have this dividing wall. And that is the reason why we must be intent on a diverse church as much as we possibly can because Jesus Christ died on the cross to dismantle any hostility that you and I should have for one another. But unfortunately, in our nation, we've done very little to reflect that gospel. In 1787, a black man had the audacity to pray on his knees in the whites-only section of, of a Methodist church in Philadelphia. The whites in that church didn't even let that guy finish his prayer, but they grabbed him off his knees, and they took him outside of the building and put him out in the streets. And the very next day, the African-Americans in that church put their money together, and they bought this little blacksmith shop, and they started a church, which would be the very first African Methodist Episcopal church. And that put the churches in this country on a very sad trajectory, as most of the African-American denominations that were started in this country were started because whites began to wreck what the gospel had dismantled, a dividing wall of hostility. Hundred years later, the Southern Baptists split off from the General Baptists over the issue of slavery. Hundred years after that, MLK would peruse the congregational landscape of churches in our nations in a very melancholy tone would say that 11 o'clock hour on Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. Now, wait a minute, Brian. It's 2018. We just had a black president. What are you talking about? An article from the New York Times this past March highlighted the growing trend of people of color leaving predominantly white churches. More and more people of of color are feeling uncomfortable around other white Christians. And the church is losing in an area it should be winning. And I could go on and on and on on that. And in coming weeks and months, we'll unpack how we make progress. But it's not just racial. It is for sure racial. But the dividing walls could be differences in education. It could be political. We got a PhD in the political divide last week. It could be socioeconomic. It could be philosophy of life, you know, stay-at-home moms and working moms, homeschool versus public school, whatever it is. Whatever it is about someone that makes you go, ah, these are my people. If it's anything that we share the blood of Christ, if you're a Christian, consciously or subconsciously, in your heart or in your head, you've erected a wall of hostility. You got a post-grad degree? We should hang out. You hate Trump too? We should be friends. You love guns and Wrangler jeans? Let's be buds. And there's nothing wrong with affinities. There's nothing wrong with preferences. There's nothing wrong of having strong beliefs about how you think the government should be run. But they can become a dividing wall of hostility. And Jesus Christ bled on the cross and died. So those would be dismantled. Don't build those back up. John, the apostle of love, says it this way in his epistle. If anyone says, I love God, but on Twitter says he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God 
whom he has not seen. This is why community groups are so important because there are things in our heart that don't actually come to the surface until we get around other people. We have erected dividing walls of hostility that stay erected when we just stand shoulder to shoulder in a room like this. I mean, you don't really have to put up with anyone if you're just, you know, you like the same music, you, you know, you like this, whatever. So you're here together. But you won't actually realize how much you really hate someone until you get to know them. Right? We need, we need to be around people who are not like us so we can put to death the hostility that's in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters. And if you don't think it's there, you're not capable of what your heart, you're not aware of what your heart is capable of. Jesus did not die so we'd stand shoulder to shoulder in a service. He died so that we would be one. That takes aggression. That takes intentionality. One new man in place of the two. One new race in place of the two. And those who geek out over the Greek text, we know that there's two different uh, words for the word new that Paul could have used is the word neos, which means new in relationship to time. It's the idea of the latest and greatest. It's the latest iPhone. It's the latest 747. But Paul does not use the word uh, neos. He uses the word kainos. Kainos speaks of new in relation to kind. It speaks of the idea of invention, something that the world has never seen before. So it's not the latest iPhone. It's Alexander Graham Bell. It's not the latest 747. It's the Wright brothers. Paul is saying that Christ died to build a community that the world has never seen before. Jews and Gentiles coming together, but the sad reality of a lot of churches in America is people walk into our services and said, seen it. Typical. Seen that before. No different than any other social group. Paul is saying that one of the greatest demonstrations of the power of the gospel to a lost and dying world is to see Jews and Gentiles, Democrats and Republicans, blacks and whites, Asians and Latinos loving on each other on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must not be those who erect dividing walls of hostility. We cannot be a part of the divide. But listen, just because we're not actively a part of the divide doesn't mean that we are part of making things one. Because I think we're politically correct enough to know that, well, except on Facebook, we're politically correct enough that we shouldn't say things out loud like what really is in our heart and our head about certain people. And so we may be, okay, I'm not going to like be, I'm not going to cause any trouble But the force of this is that we would become one. So we must be active in this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ creates an entirely new grace. In Christ, there's only one kind of sinner, dead. In Christ, there's only one kind of Christian, alive. And we want to create a family that not only accepts all people, but listen to me, pursues all people. We pursue all people. That's why we need to press into diversity as much as we possibly can. And we have some areas of success on that. We have areas where we need to get better. But we can't stop trying. We can't stop trying. I want us to be known. We need to be known for one thing and one thing only. 
and that is Jesus. I don't want to be the young church or the old church, the white church or the black church, the rich church or the poor, poor church, the right-wing church or the left-wing church, the contemporary church or the traditional church. I want to be a Jesus church. And that will be reflected in how we love and serve other people. Jesus said, they will know that you are mine by how you love one another. And when you only love the people who are like you, that's just another form of individualism. Anybody can look in the mirror and say, I like you. So we want to find, we want to be family of all people. And then we want to help, we want to be the kind of place that helps people discover their purpose. Now, this is a tricky one because on one hand, in Ephesians 2.10, if you read that, it says that we are his workmanship. And that word workmanship is a Greek word that means masterpiece. Like, man, you are like one of God's masters. You're one of a kind. You're unique as a snowflake. And you have all this, you know, God's made you a unique way. And he has prepared for you in advance good works that you and only you can walk in. So on one hand, there's this, like, there's this, there's this individuality, that there's this uniqueness about you that, that needs to be uh, celebrated, but you've got to be careful. Meaning, I'll say it this way, like, you need to let other people celebrate you, but, but you have to be careful of you celebrating you because there's, there's, there's... having purpose is a tricky thing. You see, if you seek purpose, if you seek your own purpose, if you seek for your life to have meaning, you'll never find it. If you are actively seeking purpose, you will never find it. Jesus said it this way. It'll make sense in a second. Some of you are looking like, I don't know if I believe that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, so give up on the idea of pursuing yourself, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It, it finds purpose and makes a difference. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's the upside down world, the kingdom. Here's what he's saying. If you seek after purpose, you'll never find it. If you give up on yourself, you'll find it. You'll find meaning. You'll find purpose. Galatians 5, 13 says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh. That is, make it about you, but through love, serve one another. See, here's the thing about purpose. This is why very few people have it. This is why very few people think their life counts is because the def- by definition, to have purpose means that you are a means to the end. You're not the end. You are a means to the end. So like a hammer does not exist for itself. It exists to nail nails. A car does not exist for itself. It exists to provide transportation. It is a means to an end. The reason why very few people live with purpose is because very few people are willing to be a means to the end. They want to be the end. It's only when you lose your life, it's only when you die to yourself, it's only when you let go of yourself that you truly discover purpose. So here's the thing. You don't discover purpose by discovering purpose. You discover purpose by meeting this amazing creator universe of the universe, God. You do as Jesus says, that you, to follow him, that means you, you pick up your cross and you die to yourself. And then you tether yourself to a local community of people called the church and you give yourself to love and serve them. And that's what Galatians says. It says you have this freedom, but don't use that freedom for yourself. But through love, serve one another. And, and, and it's in the context of a local community and dying to yourself 
first to God, secondly to other people, that you discover purpose, and secondly, that you make a difference. Let me show you how Paul says it in Ephesians 3.10, if you, on the second part, just after Ephesians 2. He says that through the church, the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What he's saying is that the, the, the apex of God's wisdom is the church. God's smartest idea is the church. Because here's what he's going to do. He's going to take people of all different backgrounds and races and political preferences and ages and, and social economic background and all, you know, all the mix. He's going to bring them together. He's going to bring people together who would normally want to kill each other. And he's going to cause them to love each other and lay down their life. And people are going to see the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God in the church in action from a group of people who are not living for themselves, but they're living for God and others. And if you do that, if you do that, if you do that, you will, you will find that your life is bursting with so much meaning you won't have to do with it. If you don't do that, you'll just be like a seed of grain. You, oh, great, you have a seed of grain. But if you let go of that and you allow yourself to fall into the ground and die, you'll bear 30, 60, 100-fold. You'll make a difference through the church. You go downtown, nobody's impressed with the bricks. You're impressed with the building. No one goes downtown like, oh my gosh, look at all these bricks. Aren't these amazing? Look at the buildings. Look at the architecture. Look at, look at the design. What must have been in the design to put the brick just this way, like this? Who would have ever thought of that? God's manifold wisdom we put on display not when you're an isolated brick and the brilliance of you, but actually you being built into a community of people. You find your purpose in a community. You find your purpose knowing God, being in a family, dying to yourself, serving your brothers and sisters, serving the world around you, and making an eternal difference for his glory and the good of all people. Would you grab out that communication card? The band can go on and come up. Let me ask you this question. Where do you need to press forward in living out this mission that we have? Do you know God? Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I've kinda, I'm like one of those that, you know, like, I, I'm looking for a boost from God. You know, I, I just figured if I can show up here and get a little, add a little morality to my resume, that'll help me out with the guy upstairs. Or, you know, you want your kids to have a little morality, so you come here so they, but do you know God? Do you know that it's a gift, not a reward? It's not a reward for showing up here. It's not a reward for doing good works. It's a gift that God gives you based upon what Christ has already done. Do you have family? By the way, if you don't know God and you would like to know God, um, or you're just like have more questions, there's a little box on that card that you can mark that, that uh, says, I, I want to begin a relationship, or maybe just have, put a question mark if you have questions. Do you have a family? Not just, I, yeah, I can kind of walk in this room and I, I, I know like four last first names. No, four first names, maybe one last name. But do you have family? Do you have people who, that you laugh with and can be honest with, that you can do, that you can share your struggles? But you don't have to pretend 
that your marriage is going well when it's not. You don't have to pretend that your life is going well when it's not. But you can be honest and you can, you can find grace in that community and you can find help. Where might you be rebuilding the wall of hostility that divides you from others? It could be race. But maybe you've got the race thing down and you're smug about other things. There's, there's, certain, there's a certain kind of person that you just, oh, I can't stand this person. I can't stand these people. Where, you, where, where in your heart, where in your head, where in your life is that wall of hostility being built up? Are you tethering your life to other people to discover your purpose? Are you tethering your life to other people so that you can discover why you're here and what you're made to be and making an impact through his local church? If you want to know more about like maybe what the community is about and how you really grow in discovering your purpose, actually Growth Track is a great opportunity. Learning how to know God and tell other people about know God, Growth Track is a great opportunity. Growing in what it means to serve, Growth Track is a great opportunity. And you can mark, if you want to take that next step, you can mark down your card. But I want to pray for us, so let me stand.